Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Pushkin. Since making his major label debut in 2011, James Blake has become one of the most distinctive voices in pop music. His gorgeous, haunting vocals and brilliantly edited collage-style tracks have helped usher in a new sound in popular music. James has both produced and contributed vocals to artists like Travis Scott, Jay-Z, and Spanish megastar Rosalia. He even earned a Grammy for Best Rap Performance alongside Kendrick Lamar, J-Rock, and Future on the song King's Dead from the Black Panther soundtrack. This month, James is releasing his sixth solo album, which is a nod to his electronic music roots. It's called Playing Robots Into Heaven, a title inspired by the modular synth James built for the album that creates sounds meant to evoke a spiritual experience conjured by machines. It's a heady concept that translates into some of the most heartfelt and energized tracks James has made to date. On today's episode, Leah Rose talks to James Blake about how he and his longtime collaborator, Dom Maker, constructed key tracks on this new album. James also recalls how a conversation with Rick Rubin changed his life and reveals how he spent months making new music with Andre 3000, only to learn on this podcast that it may never be released. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Leah Rose with James Blake. Do you remember last time you were on Broken Record and it was in 2020 and you spoke to Rick? Yeah. Do you remember what Rick said to you about the first time he heard your music? You know what? No, I don't. What did he say? Oh, 
I remember a lot about working with Rick, but I don't remember that. I was hoping you would remember this. So I'm curious about this because I know we tend to remember sometimes more negative rather than positive things. He told you that when he first heard your music, he hadn't been introduced to any new music that he liked more than your music. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. My head's increasing in size as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> what did you take away from from working with Rick for your third album? Yeah. Well, I remember I remember Rick was um sort of came into my life at a very tumultuous point. You know, I was um deep in mental health struggles, shall we say, and kept fucking up my relationship. I just wasn't in a state of coherency, you know. Mm. I was just in a very incoherent state and I was looking to any, honestly, I was looking for maybe an answer in the music maybe, but I, you know, I I knew it wasn't going to be there. And Rick was actually really helpful at that time because, you know, being English, growing up, we learned to speak a certain way, you know, and I learned to speak a certain way and it was very accusatory. You know, if you had a problem with someone, it was like, you've done this to me, you did it. But, you know, we didn't, we weren't taught. Like when I came to California and people were speaking like this, they were going, well, I just feel that, you know, the way you did that made me feel like this. And I feel this way. You know, it's like, we didn't do that. We just had a go at each other. (laughs) So, So in my relationships, that would take form of just pushing people away quite easily if I became frustrated or whatever I'd just kind of say something that would be too spiky and and kind of ultimately not serve the the situations not serve me or them and our relationship and so Rick showed me and I told him about this and I said you know I just it feels like every time we have an argument or something like that I say something and I just fuck it up and he just said check this out and he showed me this book called Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg, which completely changed my life because I, until that point, hadn't learned to convey my actual needs without being accusatory. Yeah. And using accusatory language. I hadn't, I hadn't ever used nonviolent language in that way. For anyone listening, nonviolent language doesn't mean that, you know, violent language could be, could be described as something like yeah, like what I was saying earlier, you know, you did this, you shouldn't, you mustn't, you know, stuff like that. Kind of taking ownership of somebody's behavior for them in a, in a way and trying to control it. And actually, uh, it was an interesting lesson in in explaining your needs so that everybody in the room realizes they have the same needs and that we can meet each other's needs. Or, or we can't, you know, and that's the deci- that's the decision rather than having these huge emotional kind of um tantrums <laughs> yeah. know? did it change the way that you thought about things that had happened to you in your past does it take the blame away for situations if somebody you know hurt yeah. you well i think what it did is it gave me it equipped me to go forward in in peace in every situation regardless of if i was hurt which was alien to me previously you know and that just helped in all my friendships and all my all my relationships really and and you know that was a thing we talked about and I I think that Rick had learned from too and and like I think that was probably the best thing that came out of that uh, out of that session 
because the album's great. Like I love it and I'm proud of it. And Rick was great on the album, but the album didn't change my life. Yeah. That sit down for like 20 minutes changed my life. So working with him, there was, there was actually time to have a deep personal conversation. It wasn't just all work hmm. all day, every day. There was time to just yeah, we did hang a lot out of speaking. Yeah, yeah, we did a lot of speaking. I mean, I was there for like three months. So it was a long time, you know, and I, I was staying at Shangri-La. So there was a lot of time to kind of, and he would come, come in about 12, leave about seven. Yeah. Uh, on the dot, by the way, like <laughs> never, never miss dinner for any idea no matter how explosive an idea sounded like it was going to become he was out at seven did that make you sort of like panic as an artist like oh no we gotta eye on the clock no what it did is it taught me that as a producer i didn't i don't need to just sit around in a studio waiting for shit and that it's actually good to set those boundaries because otherwise like you know i have spent a lot of time as a producer kind of just resenting the amount of time I'm spending somewhere in like a like room full of people that I don't really want to be around and just you know not taking ownership of that I can the fact that I can leave and I I started to I started to just leave and what is it that um Shark Tank guy said he was like I don't hire the guy who who works seven days a week I I hire the guy who goes and does golf on the weekends so it's like at least the person who takes a break comes back fresh. I'd come back fresh to sessions and and feel like I could give, give people my best, which is what Rick was doing. Yeah, I just didn't understand it at the time. At the time, I was probably did I probably did say like, wait, what? We just started this thing, you know why? <laughs> but um, no, I was I was like twenty twenty five or twenty six, so I didn't really understand yeah. the idea of boundary setting. Totally, I was going to say it seems like a very mature approach to work. Definitely, definitely. And I'm sure Rick has acquired that by, you know, doing the same thing. I was, you know, just spending long days and nights in in dark studios with no windows, you know? Yeah, I don't think he was leaving at seven when he was working with the Beastie Boys. Doubt it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What is your schedule, your working schedule like? Like with this new album, do you Mm -hmm. have clear set hours every single day? Do you have like a schedule you stick to? You know what? I could stick to a better sort of more rigid schedule i try and start around 11 and i like to do the the kind of functional finishing of music in the daytime and i like to do the actual kind of creative spark stuff uh after 7 p.m okay generally so after 7 p.m would be new ideas trying things out i think it's as you get closer to the witching hour it just becomes more and more inspiring i think you know yeah seven is actually pretty far away i mean really the some of the greatest ideas come at like three uh in the morning but it's just not really practical to live like that all the time for me do you ever get haunted by ideas do you get woken up and have to immediately record something yeah so the best songs i've i've written probably so far came at around three or four and they were written in the middle of the night which was retrograde and you're too precious. Mm-hmm. They're two of my favorites, I think. Other times I get it right in the daytime, and sometimes it's like you know eight, nine, whatever. But I do think there's something special about those hours. I think it's just a sort of spiritual clarity 
that I think is hard to find elsewhere. Do you think it's because the mind is quiet and the world is more quiet and other things can sprout up? Yeah. I mean, without sort of going all the way woo-woo, I think it's like the the channels are kind of, they're more open and, and they're less interfered with by outside influence. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like when you're um, in a house that's got like three Wi-Fi routers. Some people are very sensitive to Wi-Fi. They can, they can feel it, you know, it's like, it's a bit like that. It's like... Can you feel it? I can feel electromagnetic stuff, I, I think. Like if I'm in a room and it's just got lots of, you know, EMF, then, then yeah. Wow. We don't really think about it, but I think that, you know, it's feasible that in 30, 40 years' time, we look back at all those signals as some kind of smoking. Very true. With the new album, let's talk about the new album. Mm-hmm. I saw that you released Loading today. Yeah. I love Loading so Thank much. You. Thank you. It's such an excellent song. And I was hoping you could sort of walk us through the architecture of the song and how you mm-hmm. put it together, because there's some really interesting choices you made, and mm-hmm. certain things seem almost at odds with each other, but I'd love to hear you describe it. Yeah. It started with Dom bringing in a psalm. I, th- I think it was something he actually wrote and played, which is those kind of French horns at the beginning. And he had the sample on it that went, you know, the little poetry sample. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wrote the wherever I go kind of melody over that. Yeah. But I, I, I wrote it at the original pitch. And then in order to create, what I realized is that if I just, the way the melody worked, it could be pitched up and basically not need to be altered too much to create kind of a cascading or a falling melody um, all the way down. So if you start with the pitched up one, then you can go all the way down to the, the natural pitch. And once I'd done that, it kind of just wrote itself, really. It was just, you know, then it was a matter of um, adding a beat and playing synths underneath the, the vocals to try and kind of recontextualize it outside of the horn sample. And then... I started adding kind of more like ancillary, like the crazier synths that go on later on. There's some funny vocal glitches that were happening yes, that I, le- that I, I left to in. I ask you about that. Yeah, so was that an accident? It was a happy accident. It was, um, I think it's a bug in flex pitch in Logic. Logic's a great program, but it does have some kind of quirky bugs and, and things that, don't aren't quite working as intended sometimes and actually depending on what setting you have the kind of flex pitch to whether it's monophonic or polyphonic it behaves differently and i think in this case it was polyphonic and it kind of it was hearing something in the background maybe the way it like picks up on the transients of the vocal it just freaked out and Hmm. did this strange sound which i love so cool yeah i love it and and so i left it in yeah. There are some things that are, are, are just happy accidents like that, that to me become, yeah, they just kind of become fabric of the track. And then for a long time, the beat just wasn't hitting and I just couldn't really figure it out. So me and, me and Rob uh, from my band, Rob uh, Airhead, when we were looking for drum machines that could, could hit a little bit harder um, mm. than whatever I'd programmed in the box. And we had this sitting here, which is the Drumbox Alpha Bass and also the pulsar which you should be able to the blue thing there 
mm-hmm. and just jammed over it and until I found the right drum sounds. Oh, and the TR8S, the Roland TR8S. So yeah, just a bunch of analog drum machines to kind of like thicken it up. Um, the percussion's super cool. Yeah, the percussion's quite unique. I mean, it doesn't really... It's not exactly like a sort of trad house beat or whatever. It There's a lot of claves and funny... Yeah, it sounded good in the club and I just kept playing it and then I kept kind of tweaking it until the version that you hear now. Very cool. So when you are playing something for the first time, what do you base the effectiveness of the song on? Do you base it on people's reaction to it or just how it sounds in the room to you? It's interesting. There's like a magic that happens when a tune's hitting that you can't really describe. It's like there's a rush of like, oh, that worked. (laughs) You know, like it's hard. It's really, it is hard to explain. Um, It's like tracks either have a magic or they don't. Yeah. You know, there are some tracks that, that when I play them to people, like the whole room like gets out of their seat. You can see it in people's body language. You know, it's like they start to be intrigued or interested, you know, and then they might start moving or they just they just get up because they, they can't help themselves. And you'll hear comments like, This is the one, or like you know, it's like people just playing it to a broad enough range of people. And the, one, and the tracks I tend to can are the ones that never really quite get the reaction I was looking for, never really quite hit the emotional peak. And I think it's a chemistry thing between the drums and the, and the synths and whatever, but it's the overall impression. If the overall impression just feels high, it's like a vibration thing, you know, like coming back hmm. to the Californian speak, um, <laughs> high vibration or low vibration, you know, it's like, is it uplifting you in some way it doesn't necessarily need to be happy yeah it's like this this track relies on a kind of um a kind of juxtaposition between these kind of quite sad chords yes and actually a a melody that well a lyric that is basically saying i'm only okay when i'm with you which is not the happiest lyric and actually has slightly dark undertones in a way it's a codependent lyric yeah not necessarily the best place to be and yet, for some reason, the track sounds uplifting or engaging and, and kind of um, slightly higher vibration than the, the lyrics would, would kind of have you expect. Yeah. Do you think that opposition is necessary for a song to work? Like, it can't be all happy. It can't be all one mood. I think so. It depends what it is. I mean, Happy by Pharrell, I think, is all happy. I don't think there's anything in that song that is that that's trying to counter the, the the feeling he was going for in that case something as strong you know it's like i think it's just about strong decisions i mean it's very obviously it's hard to just like boil down what works about music is it's um something you know in the moment you either feel it or you don't but yeah It's so cool. I think, you know, a lot of what you do, I've heard you talk about how editing plays a really big role in how you make music. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's a superpower or a hidden power, but it gives you a whole extra layer of tools to use on what you make. Yeah. I think one of the frustrating, the things, one of the things I I find frustrating about collaborating sometimes is that very often somebody just kind of wants a verse and there's not a huge amount of room for creativity within it. 
and I'm it's not really where I'm actually usually at my best like I can write a verse for someone but I feel most comfortable when I'm recording myself yeah and just taking the vocals and using them as a kind of material right it's how I write most of my stuff even if even if it's just speeding up for a second or 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 putting an effect on it for a second to kind of create a moment that I can bounce off to write another thing maybe that next thing is a, a better idea than even the first stuff I wrote but I you I always use almost always use editing as a kind of bridge to a better idea because my voice is it's easy to manipulate I mean I think I guess everyone's is but I I find that I, f- I mean I get bored of my own voice you know that's that's the other thing is like you know I think everyone does but after however many songs I've written it's just yeah like if, if I've been writing a lot of music over the course of a month you're going to get more and more of me trying to experiment to get away from how I regularly sound but there are other times when I I come to the piano and I just I feel everything sounds fresh and I and I feel like I'm a new singer in a way would you ever consider releasing just a straight ahead you at a piano singer songwriter style album um or does that feel boring in the way that you're saying you get you can get sick of your voice i think if i were to do that i'd have to i'd have to find new ways to play the piano and play my voice i don't think it's not out of the question i mean i sometimes think computers also become a massive hindrance and editing becomes a kind of disconnecting thing. Hmm. And staring at a laptop screen is it hollows you, really. Totally. So I in a way, like after looking at a screen for about an hour, I start to make very bad musical decisions. By bad I mean disconnected. I don't know, it's kind of no secret to it. It's like some days I want to be at the piano, some days I just it feels trite and done to death. And then other days the piano feels like the only place to express something and it's and it's the most magical instrument. It's the only way I can really communicate it. So has your voice always sounded like your voice? When you first started singing, did it sound like the James Blake we know now, or did you have a a different tone or a different style? I had a different tone because I was stuck my voice was breaking at the time. Yeah. But I definitely I was copying other singers more than I am now. So like So what I was, would it sound like or what would who would you be copying back then? Well it sounded and like I guess I'd be copying like it's like a mix between Stevie and then and then maybe something folkier and rougher. Um mm. but definitely yeah, not not a not a smooth voice in that moment. And and as it as it broke, I kind of found my falsetto probably through some desire to get away from my identity <laughs> as a I think there's a, there was an interesting article about falsetto being a kind of um means to to disconnect yourself in a way mm. or you or you feel alienated already so you you leave your regular range and I always thought that was quite appropriate really just mm-hmm. that's how I felt and maybe that's why I did it I don't know but like endlessly singing in falsetto is not very satisfying for listeners. I don't think. I think hmm. we need a bra- we need a range of yeah. somebody's you know capabilities, which is why I started to incorporate my lower range. 
like actually a lot of people like even in retrograde some of people's favorite parts a lot of people's favorite part is the moment where i go we're alone now. and it's like I, I drop down to that register i guess it's a little surprising yeah well it's to say like hey i'm here like still you know i'm i'm not just i'm not just over here being this kind of um kind of ghostly voice it's like you're reaching through the tv and saying i'm i'm actually still i'm still here yeah so you mentioned that was one of i think you said that's one of your best songs yeah do you consider it one of your best songs because it's one of the most well-known songs or what you were setting out to do worked yeah i just really want it i, I just I, th- I just think i nailed it there was no barrier between or membrane to punch through between the idea and what and what it ended up becoming it just happened very fast very naturally and perfectly when something like that happens so perfectly do you try and recreate the conditions like almost like a a baseball player who were always wear the same batting helmet or <laughs> never wash the the jersey did you go through something similar i know people that do that no uh, no i didn't um i've always accepted that that will never happen again what we are chasing when we chase that moment isn't the song itself it's it's the feeling of being on your path it's the feeling of being of channeling and being in the flow state being in the flow state and in order to create a flow state I've seen artists do lots of different things. I mean, one of my friends, Monica Martin, who's who I think is just a generational talent. Like I think she's she's my favorite singer really. She just lights a candle every time she comes to the studio. Wherever she is, she'll just light a candle. And I always I don't know if it's if it helps her kind of tune in, but I, it helps me tune in. A candle a candle really helps. It's something that a lot of spiritual people talk about as you know, helpful to kind of clear the the energies of the room or whatever. But whatever it is, I mean, it, it, I'm always I'm always a kind of proponent of what works. So yeah. if that's the thing that works for you, then that's what you got to do. But yeah, like I don't want to recreate the conditions even of retrograde. What I want to do is basically shield myself from all of the distracting factors. And I mean, the, the phone is a good example. You know, it's like. I can't be creative if I'm on if I've got a 10 hour a day screen time like I have to be it has to be like two or lower or maybe none at all and then I would really I can really tune in we're gonna take a quick break and then come back with more from Leah Rose and James Blake Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card you earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. 
And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer. So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle to everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We're back with more from Leah Rose and James Blake. The new album, when you started making this album, Mm -hmm. people are saying that it's, you know, you going back to your roots in a way. Mm. Is it feel more exciting and maybe a bit easier to make an album that's more dance music based? It's not completely dance music based at Mm -hmm. all, but is that almost an easier task for you? Honestly, yeah, it is. It's funny. I was I was playing Brian Eno the record, and uh, and we videoed his his reactions as well, and we're putting out sort of little clips uh, here and there. And um, I said to him at one point, I was like, I was going to play you some of the more ambient side of things, but I guess you listen to ambient music all day, don't you? And he goes, James, I I shit it. <laughs> <laughs> I shit ambient music, and it's kind of like that with. Um, you know, when I'm try- when I'm trying to aim at song, you know, songwriting as like the first, like the principal aim for, of the project. It's like it's tough. It's okay. really, really daunting and tough. And and I'm entering into a kind of category of, you know, some unbelievable songs. And I, on occasion, can rise to that challenge, but it just doesn't. 
it's not my most natural state. And actually, Rick mentioned, he goes, um, I think you're best when you're doing collages. Yeah. And he was like, you're a good songwriter, but you're not. Not yet. You can be, basically what he was trying to say was, you can do it whichever way you want. I'll tell you where you really shine. Yeah. And I think that's kind of one of his strengths as a producer is the fact that he, you know, some I've heard some criticism of him about, you know, him, he doesn't like, you know, because he's hands off, right? right? So a lot of people go to a producer and they think, well, why is he just sitting there? Why isn't he on the buttons? Like, why is he not like playing anything or, <laughs> you know, arranging stuff? And the thing that I think, is one of the most effective kind of strengths of, of Rick is that he will, he can identify if you're resonating at your strongest. Mm-hmm. And he can also identify when you're not. And the thing that most artists don't want to be told in the creative process is that they're not resonating at their strongest. It creates some bitterness, I think, to, to acknowledge that you're not actually doing what's natural to you or that you're not creating the best scenario, you know, the best scenario for your flow state. And I think Rick's right in in some way that when I'm attempting to write a kind of straighter song, I find it hard to, you know, there are moments where I can truly channel it, but but sometimes it can feel more like an exercise and and it's harder harder for me. It's a skill I learned recently rather than... And so, yeah, the the collage is is something that I understand deeply and I've always done it and and I've always been able to take a motif and kind of build a whole thing or a world around it and make that world change and make that world evolve. And that's where the editing comes in. That's where the editing comes in and that's where that's kind of where loading's at and that's where tell me's at and that's where all these other tracks on this album kind of and because I naturally I can tap into dance music from a very natural place because I've been doing it since I was you know 19 or whatever the alchemy is just quicker. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I think this album is, what's nice about it is that I don't, there's not a single skill that I needed to acquire over the course of making it to make this album. It was all there already. And I just tapped into what I knew. And, and uh, I think the only thing is I, I just haven't shown people this kind of music that I've been making for many years. I think your fans are really excited about it. I've read some really sweet comments and people are saying, oh, James is weird again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, especially with the um, the first single that you put out, Big Hammer, people just were like mm-hmm. losing their mind over this song. Why did you decide to put that song out first? Well, firstly, I've been weird for <laughs> the whole time. I mean, even the more straight ahead stuff I've done by comparison to other music is very often there's always something a little bit odd about it it's outsider material yeah. either either way even as even as much as i've tried to kind of like trojan horse my way into pop music it's like it's not really it seems like i'm never really seen as part of the the crowd of the, you know the the i don't know all the, the in crowd is is tapping you to work with them yeah but it's it's like Again, it's that kind of compost thing, isn't it? It's like, I'm not, I'm just not, I'm not one of them. I'm not the, I don't know. It's like. You're not Britney. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, if you, so it's like when I went on, um, 
I was looking at Apple TV one night and I was like, oh, they've got a YouTube, like a music, sorry, music video channel, right? So I went on this music video channel on Apple TV and I looked at the music videos and I was like, oh yeah, that's what like modern pop music is. Hmm. And fair play, like fair play to them. And there's some amazing stuff here, but I can't, I can't do that. I can do my own thing, but I can't, I can't be something I'm not. And my... I don't know. I'm a weird guy. In some ways, my career has been like a push and pull of like, do I want to be accepted in that kind of central position or that's never what's going to be. And why would I even want to be that? Yeah. Because what I do is something else and it's okay. And that's kind of what Say What You Will was about. And what Rick identified was that it's like, do your thing. Like, not just, not not exactly stay in your lane, but like, but remember what it is that you you have the most unique perspective on. Yeah. And that's that was powerful. Yeah, like he, you know, he does get the criticism that he's a hands-off producer, but what he told you is like a big picture overview that is so incredibly valuable that that could now become your North Star. Mm-hmm. And what else is a producer supposed to do except guide you? I mean, in my opinion, a producer is supposed to change your life. I mean, it's... Yeah, we can make a beat. Like I can right. make I can make someone a beat, but the most successful sessions I've ever had with people, I've given them something that enables them to finish the record or like right. enables them to kind of look at a certain song in a certain way or be confident in something that they that they previously didn't back because they they couldn't back themselves because people were telling them that it that song you know it's not this or it's not that but it's like but it's me and it's like i don't really necessarily make people hit songs i mean i don't like i don't think i have made any one any hit songs but what i do is in the studio is i encourage people to be them and mm-hmm. i think that that is something that actually a lot of people in the mainstream don't often hear you know, yeah. it's like because there are there are bigger there are bigger incentives and there's, there's more jeopardy and there's more there's kind of like there's more reason to play it safe. And I'm not really interested in the the market per se. I'm interested in somebody's growth as a person. Like I want yeah. them to be become their full self. I want them to be truly happy with what they've made and. I want them to come back to me a year later and say, I'm glad you said that thing because like this has happened and and I'm really glad we stuck with that single, that that tune is the single rather than this other one because that's the one I love the most. For example, you know, that's the kind of shit that I like. I'm not really, yeah. if someone says, oh, I love this beat you made on this track, it's like, it doesn't really do much for me, to be honest. I, li- I, li- I lo- love making beats and I love making music, but I've made so much at this point that that's not like, it doesn't, move me the same way yeah speaking of people who are who feel like they're just themselves and just really someone who seems from the outside like a creative genius i was curious what it was like working with rosalia amazing she's a force of nature and she was from the moment i met her i knew she was a force of nature i knew she was gonna be gonna be huge and she's so professional she just came in and just nailed it like really fast dialed into what the tune needed immediately and 
her verse happen really quickly on Barefoot in the Park, that was. Yeah. And we just immediately sounded great together on when we were doing harmonies and stuff and it just felt magic. Yeah. I really liked her. I just liked her straight away. She was just pleasant. She was just so like, it's very rare that you meet someone who is that driven and that talented and has that kind of voice who is also sweet and like kind, but also knows exactly what they want and knows how to say what they want. Wow. And isn't going to do something if they're not completely happy. Mm -hmm. That's a very rare proposition. I think that's why she got taken so seriously so quickly because everyone she would have entered the studio with would have felt the same thing. And it's like, there are some people who, who you meet who, as you're working with them, you realize that this is a step. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but that, that you're witnessing their, they're, they're going somewhere and you're right. lucky to have met them in that moment. That's, that's how it felt. But it's like early days as far as our artistic development. Yeah, because that was when I met her, it was just after she'd, she'd released Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And then I think she was working on, I think Malamente was on the runway, but like hadn't come out yet. And yeah. she was working on her next record. And I was just in love with the Los Angeles record. Yeah, and I'd ne- I hadn't heard a, vo- a voice like that that had moved me as much as that for years and years and years and years and years. Maybe not since Bon Iver and Joni and you know, mm-hmm. but certainly to meet someone new who could evoke that kind of emotion in their voice. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really special, and and I just felt very lucky to have met her. Really, yeah. I want to ask you about the song if you can hear me. Mm-hmm. on the new album there's a line in there dad if you can hear me where did the song come from what's the inspiration for the song the inspiration for the song was that i was one of the composers in contention for working on the movie ad astra which brad pitt is in and so they ended up going with like a more traditional classical sort of angled composer but Lame. one of the things <laughs> yeah <laughs> They fucked up. It's like, take a chance on a new guy. <laughs> no, I, I think actually in the end, when I heard it, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But anyway, so I wrote the piano part to If You Can Hear Me. It was just a, it was a sample of me playing piano that Dom had cut together into a loop. And I just lay it out and then started humming over the top of it. And it really just immediately felt, very emotional and it was one of mine and Dom's favorite pieces that we'd ever done together like just for ages we always came back to it and we're like what should we do with this what are we going to do with this and um as I was sort of making this album it just came back to me and I was like I've got to do something with this and I had this idea for for a song and I just tailored it to the way this sounded but you know I only really I think I had a couple of lyrics from it I didn't have a whole song it, it it came that all came to me while recording it really i took it very literally as if you were sending a message to your dad well it's like in in the movie sorry i should probably explain the movie has a scene in it where 
Brad's character uh, is communicating with his dad for the first time in years. And his dad's actually in space. His dad's in some corner of space that no one can get to. And they've managed to find a way of communicating with him via some kind of satellite phone thing. And it's just a very emotional scene. But it, to me, it felt like a kind of um, a metaphor, you know, for having gone and as every father-son relationship is, you know, the son has to go off and do their own thing and yeah, hopefully carve their own path. But, but ultimately the tendency, we, what we don't realise is that we're, we're, we're making the same mistakes and also having the same successes in some ways as our father a lot of the time and don't realise how much we're repeating history. Do you think that's because of the story you've been told growing up? I think so, yeah. And I think like him being such a big figure in my life, I just looked up to him and still look up to him so much. And I think that, you know, he was my inspiration for making music and getting into music. And he was also my guide when it came to who not to trust and when to trust in terms of the industry and, and like preserving myself. And, you know, he's never tried to vicariously live through me. You know, he's always been someone who does his own thing really fucking well and I do my own thing and we talk about each other's music and we you know he sends me stuff he's doing I send him stuff I'm doing and it's lovely but like you know one of my biggest songs was his song The Wilhelm Scream he wrote it oh wow I didn't know that yeah he wrote a song called Where to Turn which was one of my favourite songs growing up and I basically covered it I interpolated I I took like one of the lyrics from it and kind of um, repeated them and yeah, I guess the song is about, you know, there's lyrics in it that are sad and there are lyrics in it that are you know, reflective. I, you know, for example, the we speak less than I'd like. I don't know how I grew away from the vine. You know, lots of kind of things that I'd love him to, in a way, harder to say in person than they are in a song in some ways. You know, we talked so much and about our lives respectively and so he knows everything that, he That's knows great. what I feel and I know what he feels and it's it's great. And I and that was why I felt safe to write a song like that. Yeah. Have you thought about if you would want to be a father? I have thought about it, but I honestly don't think I will because if I'm going to give up 60% or 70% of my life, I'm not sure which 60 or 70% it's going to be. And I'm so involved in my music and my friendships and my relationship that something's going to have to give and I think in a lot of cases people often feel pressured into giving up some or all of those yeah in order to have a child and I just don't know if I I think it would make me resent them hmm that feels like a very mature decision and a decision that comes from a place of really knowing yourself I guess I've also not heard a single positive thing from any parent that I know about having children. Really? Not really. I mean, I've heard some, you know, things that seem like consolations, but but nothing that made me go, oh, that sounds great. What about talking to your own parents about now that obviously their child is grown? Yeah. Well, if my maybe child... Maybe they have some positive things to say. Yeah, they, they do, but but also our relationship is not necessarily my relationship with my child, you know, 
and so even if it's you know i i had a loving loving parents who like every parent makes mistakes and you have to heal them and then you and then hopefully at a certain age you become mates you know but like i'm someone who sort of has hyper focus Mm -hmm. my dad does too and i think that my version of hyper focus doesn't really allow for much more than like a committed relationship and friends to be outside of it mm-hmm. like i find it hard enough to have dogs honestly like i i worry sometimes that i'm not being attentive enough or giving them enough of my time and i and i try and i have a great relationship with my dogs but i just if that's how hard that is then i can't even imagine what it's right. like having kids and i yeah i guess i'm realistic about that and i also would kind of consider myself a spiritual person now and i don't know i'm not 100 percent sure that our biological family is our only family mm-hmm. you know and in fact if our biological family is our family <laughs> right. you know like so many people have a chosen family and and the idea of legacy of you know continuing the bloodline and stuff like that i just don't really resonate too much with that yeah like the same way I don't really resonate with like hugely with nationality and I'm not sure if I resonate necessarily with with children that much either like whenever I meet kids I'm like oh this is fun for like a while but I, yeah. I'm never like oh that's made me really want to have children now like I just right it feels like a lot you know it's interesting that you say that because it seems like you've gotten you were talking about how your dad has been a role model and he's mm. sort of taught you so much about the world that you're in about your artistic world Mm -hmm. because that is such an important foundational relationship in your life Mm -hmm. that i don't know there wouldn't be a desire to maybe guide somebody else in that way but you can do that with chosen family as well Well, i do that all the time i mean i like i'm that kind of person to other people even in music it's the the role of a yeah. producer is a kind of sometimes can be like a mentor and a and a advice when you need it and just like what I said about Rick you know yeah and and the wonderful thing about doing it in that context is that I get to go home and I can just like leave the noise behind because I am somebody who really values peace I really value it and I and I I would find I know myself enough to know that I'd find children pretty unbearable when it comes to like noise and kind of like oh, yeah. unwanted distraction and you know it's just like it'd be so difficult for me I think yeah it's sensory overload yeah and it's just for me I mean I you know I think if you want kids and it's just something you've always wanted then then do you you know yeah totally I, I'm not one of those people who's like yeah I could never bring a child into this world it's like <laughs> that's I feel like every generation's probably said something like that based on yeah. you know the Cold War. You've got like the fucking it's like how many how many terrible world endings almost world ending situations have we been through? It's like people still had kids, you know? Yeah. We're gonna take one last quick break and then come back with more from Leah Rose and James Blake. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. 
Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer, So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle-to-everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G-connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Here's the rest of Leah Rose's conversation with James Blake. I was curious because I watched the entire interview you did with Theo Vaughn. Mm. It was such a great interview, two hours Thanks. and 44 minutes. Yeah. And as someone who's been doing interviews for so long now, you've been over 10 years, you've been doing interviews. Mm-hmm. 
Do you prefer that format where it's just loose and it's more of a conversation rather than a structured straight ahead interview? I think I do. And I also like, you know, I, I quite like doing specialist things. I don't know, like, I think my interests are too specific to do very general press. Yeah. I find it really dull. And <laughs> I don't know, it's like, with Theo and, and, and then some of the other things I've done, I, I like to think that the kind of format it is allows me to be actually myself. Yeah. You know, sometimes I think myself is too jagged or something, or like not, not quite not quite suited to a lot of like mainstream press. Huh. And maybe it's just an insecurity of mine that I won't be, that I won't come across well, but I just don't always feel comfortable. And yeah, I, I like to just feel safe in, in, in the interview. And, and I think that that's what Theo's great, great at, you know, like not only is he one of my, you know, longtime friends, but he's also just a safe space. You know, he gives you... Well, for a start, he's always going to be the more edgy one out of the two of you, regardless. So <laughs> you can just rely on him to make you look pretty tame. And also he's hilarious and he's just, he's, he's one of those people who just advocates total honesty and like someone, yeah. he's just really vulnerable with his audience. And I just think that's so yeah. great. It's just surprising you guys are friends, like, People in the comments are like, I would have never expected this relationship. Right. <laughs> and you're so sweet and supportive with each other. Well, I just think he's, I think he does something similar to me. I, I don't know. I've, I've always felt like that when the, even the first time I saw him do comedy, I just thought, oh, this is someone who's, whose mind genuinely goes to the other, the less trodden paths, you know, and it's the only way he can do it. I could see that there was a commonality where, he was always looking for, and I said this in the podcast, he's always looking for the, the way of saying something he hasn't said it before. Yeah. And that, to me, is just, is just great. And there's not really that much difference in doing that with comedy as, as to doing it in music. It's, it's pretty similar. I mean, I don't have, you know, I don't have loaded presets. You know, I sort of don't go, do things by template. Yeah. Uh, and I get bored really easily, so... I think it's, I think we're quite similar. Yeah, I've heard about other um, comedians talk about the connection or a similarity between comedians and musicians. Like mm. Dave Chappelle and Block Party said that all comedians want to be musicians and all musicians want to be comedians. And I don't think that's the most obvious connection. Yeah, I think it's true. Well, to some extent, I think it's true. I mean, it, it you know, so I don't actually want to be a comedian. And, I'm never, yeah. <laughs> you know, you'll probably never see me try stand up, but it's just a different part of your brain that you, you admire the, the art form and you sort of, between musicians, I find that the musicians who love other musicians the most are always ones that just don't know how it's done. You know, it's like, it's a magic trick really. Yeah. And, you're, and you're looking to figure things out. And if you're a producer or a musician, you really, if you, if you can just hear the, that it's done by numbers, then that's not interesting to a musician. Right. Like a musician's musician is someone who no one can really work out how they do it. And that's the same in comedy. You know, it's like Theo, no one really understands Theo's brain. I think I have a pretty good 
idea of it and then he'll say something that takes me by surprise and I just that's why it's fascinating that's why it's fascinating that's why it's engaging and that's why it's always it's always fun I feel the same way about my girlfriend Jamila's brain works her comedic brain works in a way that like I can't fully understand like uh, even knowing her for eight years like she just makes me laugh all the time every day in ways that surprise me every time and that's you know and she says i do for her too and like i think it's hard it's funny and it just there's nothing less funny than describing humor um <laughs> but but that's that's what it is it's that's the thing with the theo and it's the thing i enjoy and i think that's the thing that musicians with comedians they just we just don't know how they're doing it Yeah. And speaking of musicians, musicians, I know a lot of people talk about Joni Mitchell that way, that they can't figure out how Mm. she does what she does, how she plays guitar or how she, you know, the lyrics she comes up with. Yeah. Has there been anybody that you've collaborated with other musicians where you work with them and you just get that feeling? Conan Moccasin. I think Conan Moccasin, I, I have that with. I mean, yay. Yeah. There's a handful of people who are one of ones, you know, who it's very, very difficult to pinpoint where an idea has come from or how it's how it's arrived on the page. And people who have a certain kind of magic that can't be replicated. I think that's the, you know, there are there are lots of different types of people who work in music and, you know, in terms of like writers and producers, there's a scale between people who are kind of have kind of studied what's happening and now and now are just adding to the adding to the the oeuvre you know adding to the kind of the hubbub basically hmm. and then on the other end of the scale you have people who are like musical compost as Brian Eno described it to me who who are there to catalyze music and who who, who don't necessarily always reach the levels of fame that hmm. some of the people in the middle do but they provide ideas for the rest of music to bounce off and that can be like a beautiful and a frustrating place to be for a lot of artists and i've seen a kind of a range of artists now as as a producer like having worked with a lot of people i think i've just you know accepted my place on whatever spectrum that you know wherever i am on that spectrum i think i've accepted it but I think that's something that all of us have to like come to terms with, whether we are genuine, genuine idea, cre- new idea creators, or if we're people who work best as facilitating yeah. those ideas, you know? Seems like it could be difficult if you want to be someone who's bringing new ideas to the table, mm-hmm. but instead really you're best at just facilitating. That could be sort of a conflict. Yeah, I'd, I'd hate that. that's that's uh that's not a great place to be i mean you know wanting to be something you're not is fundamentally a cause of suffering totally you know and being a facilitator isn't as sexy as moving a genre forward (laughs) yeah but you know it's like there are people who don't necessarily have the the skill in new idea creation or or like you know, might not have that magic, but they do have an incredible focus pulling kind of magnetizing charisma, which might be something else. And I think like, 
in in pop especially you have like a it takes a whole village really yeah so and i have to ask you about working with andre 3000 mm. it sounds like you made a lot of music that hasn't been released yet yeah and is that is just sort of in flux is there any way that we'll ever be able to hear anything i hope so but i mean wasn't he on this podcast when he said that he wasn't going to be he was yeah he wasn't going to be releasing any more music that's actually how i found out <laughs> okay <laughs> um what's the catch the song that you did with him what's the catch for your album is just phenomenal thank you it was a crazy honor to get him get him on that song were you all together in the studio yeah 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 we did months but on that specific song is yeah a couple nights but yeah my god you're you're dealing with a living icon who yeah it's almost surprising to hear something new come from that person because you're so used to the songs that exist you're like almost it seems impossible that they could just be created it feels like they were just divinely just put somewhere and they were just, yeah, it almost right. you, like you found them like, you know, like precious metals or something. And, uh, you know, in, in this case with Andre, yeah, I just, just had to pinch myself a little bit and remind myself it was really happening. So, yeah, I, I, I'm honestly so blessed. Like I, I've had some of the most unbelievable musical experiences and personal experiences yeah. in this career. Like, I. I just, I can't wait to see what, what's next, really. So seeing your dad as a musician and how he's maybe changed or his focus has changed as he's gotten older, have you thought about your own trajectory as a musician as you get into your 40s and 50s? Have you thought about how your focus might change? God, I just just only struck me that I'm going to enter my 40s at some point in. I mean, to be fair, I'm 34, so it's a bit of a way off. Time. But... I've worked with some artists who've defied age expectation and they've defied, not only defied the, the expectation of age, but they've, they've proven that, that if you have it, if you have something that is, that has to be shared, you can share it forever and you can share it in different ways forever. You know, it's like these people who we see people just, it's like, they never seem to leave relevance and we don't know it's like how is you know how is drake still making hits dude and i'm not he's not even old but you know what i'm saying like yeah he's like two years older than me i think or three years older than me i mean it feels like the the run is never ending yeah it yeah. feels like the, this this person has just been on top and by the way we haven't even really worked together but like how long has it been yeah it's one insane. after another, after another, after another. And it's like, it never stops. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. that's literally a Drake lyric. It never <laughs> stops. <laughs> but it's not. It's crazy. And it, maybe he's not maybe the best example of the age thing, but like, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he will be one day. And then when you look at like Jay-Z and like, he just pops up on stuff. And it's like what he did, that verse he did on that Khaled, that DJ Khaled tune. Yeah. Insane verse. And something that a 25-year-old couldn't do. Yeah. Like, or even Nas. Nas, Nas just comes back around. Nas is having an incredible around. run right now. Yeah, like Nas having a, what, another moment? Like another, yeah. what, he's, okay, so like having another mainstream relevant moment. It's like how, it's like people yeah. have waves. They come in waves rather than yeah. 
that I always thought that my career would be over by the time I was 30. Hmm. I was like, right, I've got this, this amount of years to do this. And then, and then it's, and then basically my relevance is over. So I'm just going to like, just enjoy it. And then I'm going to go do something else. But for some reason, as long as I take care of myself, it's been shown to me that I never really have to stop doing what I do. And that I can just keep kind of coming in and out and going in waves of not just, it's not really about relevance. It's more to do with waves of like being in tune and doing your best work. I mean, there'll be people who listen to this record now and say, oh, I'm glad he's finally getting back to what he does best. Right. And this will be a moment for them of like, oh, he finally did it again. And there'll be people who just don't get it at all. And that's, that's fine. But it's like... But they can just wait for the next one. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just, you know, that's the point of being an artist. I feel like artist. you're always going to have a continuous stream. Yeah. It's not going to stop. Well, no, it hasn't so far. I mean, it stopped when I got very depressed, but I guess I sorted that out and here we are. Was that before the Rick album? No, that was during Colour and Anything. But it, oh, but okay. it, but it, it meant Colour and Anything took so long to make. You know, it wasn't yeah. just three months with Rick. It was, it was years between uh, Overgrown and, and that. And then, and then the time after that to assume form, it was quite a long, long period of time. And I really took a big detour in terms of my kind of what a lot of people thought my trajectory was going to be. And I think what this is to say is to say that like every artist, as long as you are doing what you love, you can do it forever. You know, if you're really serious about it and maybe money isn't the primary concern. And I think that was a surprise to me to learn from some of the people I work with that, that like, you know, my friend... Eric the architect telling me that George Clinton he's got George Clinton on his album. They just keep coming back around. Yeah. I mean, I see that with you. I feel like why would it stop? Well, I I've never seen it that way. I wouldn't couldn't possibly say that for myself, but what I could say is I'm going to keep trying and and I do and it and it gave me some hope that the other some of the people that I love the most are still yeah. killing it and uh still doing their thing popping up. It doesn't have to end at 30 basically. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you so much. Oh, and man, me too, Leah. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations on the album. I can't wait for people to hear it. Thanks. Me too. Cheers. Thanks to James Blake for chatting about making his new album, Playing Robots into Heaven. You can hear all of our favorite tracks from him, as well as songs featuring James Blake on a playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash broken record podcast, where you can find all of our new episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at broken record. Broken record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Ben Holiday, and Eric Sandler. Our editor is Sophie Crane. Broken record is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you love this show and others from Pushkin, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted ad-free listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And if you like the show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Hold up. 
Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today.